0: imagine you were a teenager and your parents trusted you. Has anybody had a life like that? <laughs> you laugh, right? My life wasn't like that either. <laughs> um, but imagine, imagine you were a teenager and your parents trusted you, that you matured enough that they weren't, they didn't have to watch your every move, that they gave you your space and they actually even gave you the car keys. At 16, whenever you got your license. I seem to remember some kids in high school that I knew that were trusted like this. Uh, but <clears throat> most are not. Uh, so, you know, like it made me think of it, and at schools right before prom, uh, they, they usually put a wrecked car, like a lot of schools put a wrecked car out in the front lawn of the school just before prom to remind the kids that they're not to be trusted. <laughs> so um, that's what we're going to look at today, is the fact that you know, under the law, if you were under the Mosaic Law or really under a long list of rules, the reason why you would be given so many rules is because you're not to be trusted. Right? You You need to be scared. And oh, by the way, in the Mosaic Law, there was the curse and the blessing and there was vicious threats from god uh as to if you broke it and and those things would keep you in line and in a way you know the the law is much more than this but i'm just using it as an illustration that in a way that you were not to be trusted and therefore you were given 613 rules to follow but then in this age What we have is the law is is gone. The law has been removed. The list of rules that you need to follow have actually been removed. This doesn't mean that we don't have laws. It just means that we're not under the law. So uh, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you should know that you are indwelt by God the Holy Spirit, if you have believed that Christ is your Savior, that He died for your sins on the cross, and that you are forgiven of your sins by Him and by His work, you are indwelt by God the Holy Spirit forever. And it is the power and wisdom of the Spirit who is going to. This is the promise. The promise of the Spirit is that He who is God, He's fully God, He will give you the ability to do that which you are called to do. And so God has, in this age, not given us another law, not given us another list, but given us freedom in the Spirit, and in a way He's saying to us, I trust you. And now here's, I'm going to indwell you, I trust you, and I'm going to uh, call you or put forth to you a plan in a way that you should walk, and that if you choose to do it, it will be done. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at today the, the you know, what does the believer have to do to have the Holy Spirit make their lives wonderful? So uh, as we start, let's open up in prayer. Let's thank God for our time together. Let's be uh, grateful to have his word and to have the ability to learn more and more about God's plan for our lives, and especially this very important principle or Uh, doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for this privilege and honor of being here with you, being able to have you communicate to us the real secrets of life that you have now revealed in your word. We thank you for God, the Holy Spirit within Who's provided for us what we need, and uh, and in to instruct us, to guide us, to lead us, to empower us, to uh, accomplish that which you have called us to do, which you have asked of us is faith, and we're going to look at that. Father, we ask that you will uh, through your Spirit impress upon each of us the difference between the Spirit and the law, and also the difference between works and faith. And to know, Father, that these things have subtleties to them that must be ironed out. Uh, we know, Father, that it is not that we are not to do any works, but of course we are to work. But we are to work by faith, with joy, and thanksgiving. And this life that comprises that, you have uh, revealed to us by your Spirit, by your Word. And so we ask, Father, today that you do that as well. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So as I said, uh, every believer is given the Spirit to indwell them forever, uh, as the uh, as you see here in the uh, the verse that I put up in First Corinthians six nineteen. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? And there, this is forever. Jesus promised us this in John fourteen that we would be indwelt by the Holy Spirit forever. So. You know, this depiction of a temple, the, the image is quite striking because for Israel, the temple, it was everything. The temple was where God dwelt. The temple was where the sacrifices were brought. The temple was where on the one day a year, the Day of Atonement, where the sins of all Israel would be uh, cleansed through sacrifice, through animal sacrifice. And so for this age to be called the temple, of God means something very significant uh, and it's a blessing like so many of the others that is uh, frankly just beyond imagination but it is really true obviously as Paul says it here you are and it, I think it's significant that he says this to the Corinthians says, as we know they were not behaving all that well and yet still Paul told them and called them saints and, and called them to be those who were the temple of God. And so, therefore, why are we the temple of God is because the Holy Spirit is in us. Now, Holy Spirit is God. Uh, all the attributes of God, even though in the Trinity he's kind of the silent partner, he still uh, has all the attributes of God that are therefore at the ready to express themselves through us. If that's true, then, and it is, then uh, you know, our lives should be wonderful. Now, what is it that we want? Uh, if, if it is, you know, we talk about desire quite a bit. We have to desire this life. That is very true. Uh, the life, though, we have to know it. And we can only know it through the Scripture. What is the life that God desires for us to live? Uh, again, and, and getting back to my opening illustration, are we those who could be trusted by God and meaning that he would be, in essence, that would be he's pleased with us, that he's pleased with the work that we do, and he's pleased with the faith that we have, and he's pleased with the people we're becoming, you know, these, the, the type of person that we're becoming. Uh, <clears throat> today we're going to see how we allow the Holy Spirit to make our lives wonderful, so let's imagine two people, uh, another illustration. Let's imagine two people. They're young adults, say. We'll keep them young because uh, it, it, when we're young, we've got a lot of things to figure out. So say that we have two people who are either in their late teens or early 20s. One is given a list of things to live by. Uh, parents say, give the child a list of things to live by. On this list, there are two columns. On the first column, it is all the things that they should do. And on the, alongside it in the second column are all the things that they shouldn't do. And let's say on this list, there are things like what time they should get up in the morning, what things they should say to people, uh, what's proper to say, uh, what prayers to say, what times to say them, what to eat, what not to eat. If the list says never once will you be able to touch fast food or sugar ever, how long should they work, what kind of work should they do, what should they wear and on what days, the place at which they should go and worship on Sundays, and on the list of things they should not do to never, ever drink alcohol, to never, ever smoke tobacco, as well as all the other immoral things that we all know to be sins, and they have this list, and a brooding teenager looks at the list of course i put it on a phone but anyway i don't know who this girl is <laughs> i hope her picture's not copyrighted but whatever but it you know this this idea that i'm looking at a list and how am i doing am i doing well am i not doing so well am i doing perfect not once not one day would i look at the list and say oh yeah i hit i hit every bullet point here Never. But we would do, if you remember uh, the illustration I gave of the, uh, the counting clicker, that every time you committed a sin, it, say you recognized every sin that you committed, which we don't, but every time, if you could, when you sinned, you clicked. And then you clicked. And you'd be clicking all day. And then at the end of the day, you would do what? You'd look at the number. And you'd compare it with, you know, what's your average I'm I only had a thousand today. What a good day! Or I only had five hundred. Wow, hit it out of the park! Not like those bad days where I had like five thousand. But still, what? I'm a sinner. And see, this is what is brought out by Paul, mostly Paul in the New Testament, and I would say especially in Galatians three, and in Romans two through five, two through four. Four and five. Five, five really, hit, you know, brings the combination to it. And that is the difference between the law and the spirit. The difference between the law and faith. And so and we we get confused by this. Even when I was preparing this lesson, I'm still like I have to stop and pray and be like, God, can you help? Me? You know, I have to figure things out. It still gets confusing to us. Because we are supposed to do works. And as we've noted, not all the, you know, the things in the law, like don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie. Those are still in effect. And don't murder. right? still a sin. And yet, um, you know, but we're not under the law anymore. So what does that mean? Well, it means that we're not checking off the list. And this, these are the words that Paul uses. Law and works. We do works, we do have a law to live by, but it's not the same. Now, one thing we must know, that on this list, let's say it was God who comprised the list, like he did with the law, (coughs) it's spot on perfect. This list that that young girl's looking at, if it were the list that we're imagining, is absolutely perfect. There's not one flaw in it. These are all the things that she should do. These are all the things that she shouldn't do. And if she followed it to the letter, she would do really well, even as as a sinner. The more you did of the law, the better off you would be. And the same would be true today, actually. The more moral people are, the better off they do in life. But is that the plan of God for us? The answer is no. The plan of God for us goes much, much farther than that. While including things like morality, uh, so um, it's important, therefore, to learn the law of Moses, so that you can see how much better the law of the Holy Spirit is, or the life of the Holy Spirit is. That's why when we we look at the Mosaic law, we look at the sacrifices, we look at and study the the commands, and we see how they're fulfilled in Christ. And it brings to us a greater understanding of who Christ is. Right? It is, when we look at Old Testament prophecy of the temple, the tabernacle, and all these things that portray Christ, we see him better. And being delivered from the law, it's important to know, excuse me, what we've been delivered from. And what Christ has fulfilled. And in the same way, uh, speaking of uh, Paul's... In, in the book of Romans, uh, the first two chapters of Romans, Romans 1 and 2, depict for us in clear... Uh, it, it's a terrible depiction of who we are as sinners. Right? What we are, each of us, as sinners. And Why do we need to know that? Haven't we been delivered from our sin? Right? We're not those people anymore. If we're born again in Christ... We're not idol worshipers. We're not those who are trying to fulfill uh, eternal life for ourselves by some kind of works program. But yet, that's what Paul depicts us as in Romans 1 and 2. Why do we need to know that? Because knowing how sinful we are will make clear to us how wonderful the grace of God is. If we think for a moment within ourselves that we've got something really good going on or something remotely good apart from God, And we're not going to see the grace of God as clearly as we should. Uh, And so, you know, for the the, the person who's trying to follow the list and they're unable to do it, which nobody could, all those who are under the law in Israel, no one could fulfill it. Christ was the only one who fulfilled it, that they should know what they are. And that is you're a sinner. Now, if I don't know that, then I won't know how much I need to depend upon God the Holy Spirit to do what I need to do. If I don't know how completely and utterly depraved I am, then I'll look at all that God has called me to do and to be, which is heaven itself, and I there'd be some place in my mind, the back of my mind, where I'm going to say, you know what, I could probably pull this off. I, you know, I'm better than most, or something like that. Whereas, we have to understand that as sinners we are, awful sinners, that the only way we're going to accomplish the life that God has given us is to do it by faith and to do it by God the Holy Spirit and never of our own ability. So, the first person. Person number one is given a list that has two columns what they ought to do, what they ought not to do, and that's their life. Person two is a person that is not giving a list. Not given a list. The second person is like the trusted teenager. The second person is told that they're trusted to know right and wrong. Being entrusted with God's revelation from his word, person number two is told, go forth and do. Do what you should do, and you have the freedom to do it. The second person is told to live by faith, to make their own determinations on what to do and not do, where to go, what to work, or what work to do, how long to work, etc., etc. All the things on the list are, are told them that they get to determine. Person two is also told that there will be repercussions to their decisions, And if they make the wrong ones, they'll suffer. But they're told, go forth and live by faith. Which one? And so I depicted that with this young lady. Again, I don't know who she is, but she looks happy. And there's a road in it. (laughs) So go and do, right? This is what the Lord said to the man who asked him, who's my neighbor? Instead of debating with the man about who is the neighbor, who qualifies, he told him the story of the Samaritan who was beaten up and left for dead on the side of the road, and only one person helped him. He said, well, who is his neighbor? He said, go and do it. Uh, but to whom? How? You know, how much? How long? Whatever. And here we're set free. Like, think, for instance, under the law, how much were you supposed to give? 10%. There it is. There's your tithe. And some churches in the church age are like, yeah, give us 10%. They do that because they're scared that you'll only give them 1% if they don't put that on you. <laughs> but it's clear in the church age that we're to give of our own desires. See, that's freedom. How much do I give? 10%, 5%, 15%? What is it? And God says, determine this on your own by faith. And if you're going to be a cheapskate, then I will let you I will make sure that you know that. Um, and, you know, in this age, we have God the Holy Spirit within us. There's another aspect of his ministry. I'm not going to talk about it today, but it's his conviction. It says in Romans 8 that the Holy Spirit is in us, bearing witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And so if that's true, he's bearing witness with our spirit about a lot of things. Like, what does it mean to be a child of God? A child of God is not... Uh, ungracious. And so if I'm desiring to live like a child of God, then I'm going to know the things that are not contributing to that in my life. And so in that, in that is freedom. And that's what we're going to look at today a bit, is that under the list is Slavery. Really, it's you're a slave to the law. You're a slave to 613 commands, and you better do them. But it's not that we can break commands. That's not the point. But the point is, is that we are free to go in faith and that we're trusted to actually put into practice some much deeper and bigger things than just following the law. So as you remember in, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus Christ said, You've heard it said, right? He does this four times. And four times he said, you've heard it said. And, and we'll take the first one. You shouldn't commit adultery. I think that's the first one. Or it's, you shouldn't murder. Anyway, it, you know, you've you heard this. The adultery one is, I think, the easiest to understand. And that so a Jew under the law could say, well, look, I haven't committed adultery. And then God would say to them, but have you thought about it? And even, let's go a little deeper have you even looked at a woman to lust for her? And like every living male would have to say, yeah, of course I did. <laughs> right? A yes, I have. Yes. So you're in violation of the law, you see. So under the Mosaic law, if you fulfill certain commands outwardly, overtly, you're You're good. But in reality, what happens, and this is now what we have with the Spirit of God, is that we have the commands of God in a way that is not just checking off boxes on a list, but actually having the ability and power to be a type of person all the time. Like in other words, I've overcome my flesh's desire to lust for women. I've overcome my flesh's desire to be cheap and hoard my money. I've overcome my flesh's desire to pride. And in pretty much all the time, I'm a humble person. Am I sinless? No. But because of what I have seen, uh, that God has shown me what what He has made me to be in this age, in Christ, that I've seen this life and I know this life that He wants for me and I have reached for that life by faith. When I say, you know, God wants me to love my enemies like I love my loved ones. That sounds impossible, but I'm going to do it anyway. You know what, that, what I just described there is faith. I, I've, I've, had, I've always been a hoarder of my things. It scares me to death to give and be gracious. So, but I see in God's Word, I see it over and over, that He has called me to be gracious. So I'm going to do it. To heck with the fear. And that, what I've just described, is faith. Now, who, you know, and and so I I say, how am I going to do this? Then I remember, this is what the Holy Spirit is in me to do. I'm not on my own in this. I'm not on my own at all. And in fact, my my partner in this journey is Almighty God Himself indwelling my body. So, the first person under law and works, of course, I give her a frowny face so you know what the right answer is. The second person, you know, which one would you rather be? And all of us would rather be person number two. Obviously, it's freer, and it's a heck of a lot more fun. All right, it makes me think of the teenager who doesn't really get it yet. Remember, I was a high school teacher for 11 years. I know a lot of teenagers. And some of them got it early on. It was amazing to see some even 15-year-olds. They obeyed their parents. They did the right thing. I don't know where. <laughs> I don't know what they came from. Uh, but most of them were not like that. And they struggled. And they couldn't understand. Why was life so unfair? And so what did we have to do with such children? We have to put them under a lot of rules, right, a lot of laws. And we have to be, unfortunately, public schools have not been like this uh, enough, but, uh, you know, we have to have discipline quick and strict so that they know what's right, what's wrong. And see, what is that? That's like being under the law. It's a ton of rules hanging over your head and the threat of discipline all the time. Or would you like to be the person where your parent says, I trust you explicitly. Here's the keys. You you can have the house. Mom and I are going to go on vacation, so uh, we'll leave you home. And we know you're not going to throw a crazy party. (laughs) I laugh because I know a kid who did that in high school. and Oh, he got in so much trouble. But, uh, you know, in other words, you're trusted. And this uh, is what we would prefer to be, free and having more joy in choosing, choosing what to do. So you've likely imagined yourself as this person, spiritually mature. I do. I see a future Joe who's wise and powerful and joyful and full of love. I love that guy. I can't wait to meet him. (laughs) If you're a believer and knows something of the scriptures, you know what life I'm referring to. It's a life that is looks like Christ, but how? How am I going to do it? And that's what I'm going to tell you today. How we're going to do this. Now, certainly, there's a qualification. To anybody listening, there's a qualification to you doing this, living this life. And if you're saying, "Well, I knew it," I knew you'd. You know, there's always some kind of catch. The qualification is that you've believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior, that He died on the cross for your sins, and by His sacrifice you are forgiven of sin and given eternal life. That is the only qualification, that you're a believer in Christ. If you are a believer in Christ, you are that temple. That is you. If it's true of the Corinthians, it's true of all of us. And it is. Jesus said it in the upper room before he died. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, and he's going to be with you forever. And so, being this, there's my qualification. I have to be the temple of God. I have to be a believer. And then, if I'm a believer, I have the Holy Spirit within me. So, therefore, all of us have equal privilege and equal opportunity to be Christ-like, to live this life, That we so desire to live of peace, of wisdom, of power, of love, of faithfulness, and to be a certain type of person. Not one who's like, all right, I think right now I'll follow the rules, and then nobody's looking, so I'm not going to follow the rules now. But in other words, to be through the core of us, to be ones who say, I love the laws of God. Whether I'm alone, Or whether I'm with others, others see me, I'm going to follow these laws. And the promises from God is that you're going to become a certain type of person. And for this illustration, I use a building. And this is actually a biblical illustration because we're building in our souls, and that's how God puts it in Ephesians 4, that we're building up within ourselves the wisdom of Christ, the maturity of Christ, the stature of Christ. And that's a process. Now, if it happened overnight, we'd all be there. But it doesn't. And this in this way becoming what we're talking about this today is harder than checking off the list. If you had your list of do's and don'ts, and then you sat down at the end of the day, and you went through them real quick and checked them off, that would be a lot easier than what I'm talking about now. And why would? And so, in one way, this life is harder, and in another way, it's easier. The way in which it's harder. Is that if you're going to become the type of person who is spiritually, divinely virtuous, which is what we're talking about here, we're being the type of people who walk by the Spirit, who live by the Spirit, who live by the Word, we're Godlike. If you're going to be that type of person, you've got to plug with faith in doing what you're supposed to do every day. So it's like you have to be committed to obedience to God every day. And that almost sounds like a law, but it's it's not because you don't have a list to follow every day. You have a type of person to be every day. A gracious person, a loving person, a kind person, a forgiving person, a person who prays, a person who, who adores God and worships God. That kind of person. A person who, when they're dealing with others, is giving and comforting and exhorting and uh, supporting, encouraging. Did I already say encouraging? That I'm that kind of person. That with others, And when I'm with others who sin against me and do things that irritate me, I am forgiving and kind and thinking how I can help them. That kind of person. It's not a list, right? How you do that to one person and to another person may come out completely different. They don't look the same. But it's that you are after that. And you see, to build the house, the brick building that is uh, a bastion of virtue and and strength and honor, and that is divine-like, this takes day after day after day of learning applying, living. And you're not going to have it. Not every day is going to be great. But it has to be day by day. And every one of those days I depict here as a brick. Every one of those days that is a virtuous day, a day where you longed for the path that is the narrow road, the path that is the new and living way, is a day that you made a brick. And you put it in your house that's in your soul it's being the type of person who is divinely virtuous each brick is a day that you walked by faith in God's will and trusted in God the Holy Spirit because again who's going to fulfill these almost impossible frankly impossible looking commands that I need to follow it's going to be God the Holy Spirit within never forget at every believer is indwelt by God, the Holy Spirit, to make this a reality. You want to be that kind of person, then you will have it. As Jesus told us at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he said, the house built upon the rock is everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them. Every day of doing this, according to the great theologian Pink Floyd, is another brick in the wall. I knew that would be a bad joke, and it was. Every day doing this is a brick in the wall. So you see how every day is an opportunity. Jesus tells us day in and day out to put his kingdom first and not worry about tomorrow. And not worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, what you're going to drink. You say, your father knows you need these things. You're far more important than all the other stuff that he takes care of. He's going to take care of you. Seek my kingdom first. Every day is an opportunity. It doesn't matter what's going on that day. Whether it's a working day or a resting day, whether it's a problem-filled day, or whether it's a a, a prosperous day, it doesn't matter. Every day we have an opportunity to build this house. All right, let's go to Galatians 5. And I believe, yeah, we're staying in, well, pretty much staying in Galatians uh, here. So, what we've just described is a person who understands, a believer who understands that this great life, As Paul describes it, exceeding abundantly beyond all that we could think or imagine. He also, Paul again, describes it in 1 Corinthians as what eye has not seen, ear has not heard, not entered into the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. And so we're pursuing that and every day that we we know, again we have the Holy Spirit within us who's going to accomplish that which we're reaching for so we're reaching for spiritual things like love joy peace patience we look at the fruit of the spirit we'll read it here coming up in a second and the uh, that's not all the fruit of the spirit by the way there's more there's that's just a list given to the galatians but in all that the spirit could do which is all the things that god has for us to actually accomplish uh, the type of people we're to be and as we reach for that by faith, or as we go forward by faith to live that, we know that God, the Holy Spirit, is going to make it happen. That is faith in the Spirit. But what if we're so? What happened in Gal- in Galatia? The churches in Galatia were infiltrated with false doctrine, and in Galatia the false doctrine was that you know you can't. Uh, be rid of the law, that you have to actually live under the law. And they bought this. A lot of them did. We don't know how many, but we don't even know if it came from people already in the church or people outside the church. But the idea was that you cannot rid yourself of the Mosaic law. You have to live under it. And what what this did for the Galatians is something, you know, it's, it's hard to see this kind of temptation working on a Christian. In other words, you know, I know there's like Seventh Day Adventists who think they're under the Mosaic Law. There's, there's, that's an issue for them. But uh, for us, it's generally this idea that I have to work for this life. It's not something I reach for by faith and know the Holy Spirit is going to make it happen, but it's something that I have to earn. And all of us can be drawn into that. And it's what happened in Galatia. But in Galatia, the vehicle of doing this was the Mosaic Law. In our age, it could be anything. Anything that draws us towards a legalistic kind of thinking in which, you know, if I don't check off these boxes, I can't accomplish this, this life. And as if, and then I think you know I'm on my own. If you're if you're trying to do the work that is not of Christ you know, or depending on Christ or depending on God, if you're trying to do things that are of a human nature, meaning that you're trying to do works that will get you this uh, life and, and do them on your own, you know not not christ-like you know and it's what it really comes down to to try and simplify it as much as possible is that if whatever you're doing in life isn't for the reason of christ then it's it's off this path right and it could be good stuff right the person who lives for their family is living for your family wrong no uh, it, the person who you know wants to make a great marriage and a great home and have great kids and they're doing it why well that's the point if they're doing if they're doing it for another reason other than Christ then it's for themselves or it's for their reputation or it's for it's for something else and that is not a part of the new and living way in the new and living way everything goes from Christ into Christ. Because he's the connection between us and God. He's the mediator. He's God and man. And so he's our connection to our Creator and this life that has come down from heaven that he gave to us. Remember he said, I'm the bread of life that has come from heaven. Eat of this bread, and you will not hunger again. And, so, and that's how we can see this. Now, when the Galatians put themselves under the law... This is not for Christ. It's for checking off some boxes that I've completed this ritual and that ritual and this thing and that thing. And therefore, God must be pleased with me. In other words, I'm doing all this work on my own. Even though it's something that God gave a thousand years ago. But, you know, I'm doing all this work on my own and God is pleased. And that is not the case. So look at Galatians 5.1. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Now, the yoke of slavery in Galatia is the law. In their case. In our case, it's a life lived for any other reason than Christ Jesus. You know, this, this yoke of slavery could be... Well, it could be anything... That is not of him, right? This life that we live is his. He's the one who brought it from heaven. So it could, be, you know, it could be anything. We have to be careful about this. Yeah, we have a lot of things to do that are of a law like nature. But we are to do all things unto him, unto a person. We're to be like him. And we have the Holy Spirit within us to make that a reality. <clears throat> All right. So look at verse 2. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. Now, we're not tempted with this, are we? <laughs> I certainly hope not. Um, you know, so what? what is this? Well, part of, if you qualified, so to be qualified, to be under the law, it was, you had to be circumcised, like in the uh, Allah Abraham. So, the Galatians had become so enamored with this thought that, you know, the way to live the Christian life was to be under the law, that they were tempted with circumcision, that the others were telling them they had to be circumcised. So Paul says, now, you could substitute for circumcision anything. Any ritual that we think or would think that is possibly to make us either closer to God or, or have a better relationship with God or be more qualified. Anything that is outside of whom? Of Christ. Yeah? So Paul says, if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. Because in reality, you're substituting. Some ritual for the person of Christ. Verse 3, and I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. So if you're going to put yourself under the law, Paul makes it super clear here, as he does in chapter 3, that you have to, chapter 3 in Galatians, that you have to be under the whole law. So therefore, you're responsible for the whole thing. You have been severed from Christ. He's playing off the circumcision motif. You have been severed from Christ. You are seeking to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. So you see there in verses 5 and 6 that Paul says, you've gone back to some Old Testament thing in which you think you're going to be justified by the law, which the law never said anybody would be justified by keeping the law. However, we, meaning we who are believers, and oh, the people he's writing to in Galatia are, we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. The fulfillment of righteousness. What do you, he, he could here mean the return of Christ, or he could... And it could mean, he means both, that actually this fulfillment of righteousness in our own lives, meaning walking in righteousness. And notice, it's by the Spirit, by faith. Not by works. By the Spirit, by faith. And by faith, I do the works. I don't do the works for the sake of just doing the works. God did not create us to just do the heavy lifting. God did not create us to do the things that he didn't feel like doing. He created us to be like himself. And so as God works, so do we. Does God do work for the sake of working? He said, hey, hey, everybody look over here. Look what I can do. Is that why he does what he does? No. There's always a purpose in what he does. A good purpose. And the same is true for us. We... Go by the Spirit, by faith. Now, at any given moment, I can be spiritual, but it is only when I desire to be spiritual in every place and to every person, every day, that my spirituality develops into a mature lifestyle that becomes common for me. And that's, what I, that's really what I'm trying to get at today. Is I desire to be spiritual. Now, I could be spiritual in any given moment. I'd say, well, you know, all right, for the next five minutes, I'm going to obey God's will and whatever. And then after that, I'm, I'm going to do something else. And so I could say I was spiritual today for five minutes. You know, maybe I could add, maybe I did a number of five-minute <laughs> submissions or obediences, and I can add them up. And again, it's kind of like having that checklist. You know, look at, look at how spiritual I was today. You know, you but you can do something at a certain time. You know, and in the Old Testament, people were filled with the Spirit to do a certain task that was finite. In other words, like the guy building the tabernacle, he was given the Spirit to do some artistry that he could never have done without the Spirit. But once the tabernacle's done, he's done. So the Spirit is given in the Old Testament to some so that they could do one task or a few tasks and then that time is over. But to us, the Spirit is given forever. And because that is true, what God is after here, and you see it all throughout the uh, the New Testament epistles, is that God is after us being mature. This is what God desires for us is for us to be a type of person. I think of 2 Peter chapter 1 where Peter speaks of virtue and he says if these qualities are in you and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unprofitable. These qualities, he said, if they're in you and are increasing, what would that mean? That means that I'm a type of person. I can be spiritual for a minute here and a minute there, but if I'm going to develop a mature lifestyle that is of, of of virtue, divine virtue, and that to the point where being virtuous in a divine way is common for me, then I've got to plug every day. As Christ said, first seek his kingdom today. And today is an opportunity to continue to develop that character in me by the Spirit of God who is in me. That's why every day is an opportunity, no matter what is happening in that day. Your walk with the Holy Spirit and walking by faith, again, Paul writes, for we through the Spirit by faith are waiting for the hope of righteousness. We by the Spirit by faith are walking in a way that builds a brick, puts a brick in uh, our maturity. All right, look at Galatians 5.13. For you are called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And then in verse 16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. So in verse 13, Paul again says, like he did in verse 1, you're called to freedom. Only don't turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another. In other words, here you are free. You've been entrusted by God. God is like the parent who trusts the teenager and says, here's the car keys. I trust you. So Paul says, now that you're trusted by God, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But actually do what you're called to do. Love one another. Well, well, Paul, that sounds great and all. But how in the world am I supposed to love all of them? I mean, maybe there's a few in the church that I like. I don't know how many in Galatia church, but there's a few. Maybe, probably more than we have, but whatever. And and um, you know they could say, well, you know, there's some people that I will love and serve, but I don't want to love and serve everybody. How in the world am I supposed to do that? And that's what he says in verse 16: Walk by the Spirit. Now, in in the Bible, walk means living. So you can actually interpret, uh, translate this, but I say live by the Spirit. Walk refers to, this oh, this Greek word means to walk around, and it came to mean how people go about life. And we are to go about life by the Spirit. The promise is, and if we do that, and people have scratched their heads and said, well, how do I walk by the Spirit? And many uh, theories have been offered up as to how that happens that are more of a procedural, uh, you know, either confess your sins or pray or uh, meditate or something. And people have thought up ideas of how you can like turn the spirit on like a switch. And there's not none of that is in the scripture. What we're told in the scripture is do it. Just do it. And if you do it by faith, you want me to love that guy over there? Yes, love them by faith. I don't want to. That's not what I asked you. I didn't ask you if you wanted to. I said do it. And this life is the life of God that I've given you. And you will do it. Why? Because the Spirit of God is in you and all of us are qualified to live this way all of us as believers <clears throat> so we walk by faith and not by the law right this isn't the law this isn't a checklist it's by faith and i know spirit's in me and he's going to make it happen if i do it and this should excite us really they I mean, even me, I can live the spiritual life. Absolutely. God has blessed you with what you need, just like he's blessed every believer. <clears throat> now we know, and just getting back to what we closed up with in prayer, we're tempted every day. I mean, even if we're on board for this and we get excited about, oh, I can walk by the Spirit. you mean, even I can walk by the Spirit. Yes, you can. That we get tempted and it's not always easy. And there's obstacles in the way. For instance, you get start to get selfish. Who here doesn't feel themselves getting selfish or, or complete the selfishness? And I'm, just to remind you of the Lord's Prayer, because there's a part of this that is, if I'm going to plug with these things to live this life as God has given it to me to live, I've got to stay in contact with the Father. And that's what prayer is for. Prayer is for many reasons. I'm not saying it's just to uh, keep your, head, your spiritual head screwed on straight. But that's a part of it. Seeking God. I begin to get selfish, and then I think or I pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. This life isn't about me, is it? It's not about me. And that's freeing. It sets me free from selfishness. We feel like we don't have enough things or enough of the right things. Give us today our daily bread. We always have enough. We're not enough. That's a big one that we get tempted, that we drag dragged down. This happens to me more than I want to admit, that you know, you start to look at yourself in the mirror of your soul, so to speak, and you think, I, I am not worthy. Of course you're not worthy. None of us are. You know how much of a sinner you are? Read Romans 1 and Romans 2. You stink. So do I. We are awful. All of us are in Adam's. All of us have failed. This Romans 3, where Paul really brings it home before he brings in gospel justification by faith, he says none of us do anything right. (laughs) That's what we are. And we feel like we're not enough. But then think of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who is in heaven, you are a son or a daughter of the Creator, the Almighty Righteous One. You are enough by virtue of Christ. What if life suddenly seems to become dark or depressing? And it happens, too. Isn't it amazing? Like, your outlook one day to the next can be so different. And what is it? Sometimes it's just like, you know, your emotions are kind of haywire that day or uh, whatever. Your hormones are out of whack or something. But then it could just be some news that you heard or... A loved one has been hurt or something like that. And the world starts to look dark and depressing. And then we remember, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The evil one has made this world dark. But he's not my master. My master is light and life at the right hand of God. What about when our sins weigh heavy upon us? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We know by faith that our life is the one of light and the Holy Spirit has given us the ability to walk in the light. I'm out of time, but that's in Ephesians 5. Walk in the light. He said, you are children of light, so walk in the light, which is the fruit of the light, consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, proving what is pleasing to the Lord. So skip down to Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such things there is no checklist. Just to keep the motif for today. No, no checklist. So what? How do I do that without the checklist? How do you be... A kind person instead of someone who has a list of rules about what kindness is. So that when you're interacting with someone, that your kindness, you are just kind. That's who you are. And so you don't don't need laws that tell you to be kind. You are kind. So, you know, I don't, we don't have laws in the Bible that tell us what to say to people, how to say it, at what time, to, to whom. We don't get that. We're told to be kind, and we are. So, you know, I've never been a kind person. Okay, all my friends, <laughs> they call me certain names that I can't say behind the pulpit. That's what I'm known as. But is that who you really are in Christ? by faith you say no i'm not and for the stuff that we're pretty good at that's easy to say right if I, you know if my problem isn't say I, i'm like you know I, say a person has been you know kind kind their whole lives and when it comes to being kind as a christian it, they don't find that too much of a struggle but in each one of us, there's some things because of our weaknesses that are, are very hard to do. And we could say, hey, that's how I was born. That's how I am. Deal with it. I can't stand people who say that when they say, this, this is who I am. right? I'm just being real. <laughs> you're just being a jerk is what you're being. A real jerk. It, it, in Christ, we'd be given this life. And this life is what we must be by faith, and we have the spirit within us to make it reality when we do it by faith. So um, tomorrow we'll look at what I want to look at is the word "full" because there's this the phrase "filled with the Spirit." I want us to see what fullness means because it doesn't just apply to the Spirit; it applies to other things in the Christian life, and we'll compare those. Uh, together, and I think I'd like to look at the fruit of the Spirit. Which I had more on that today, but I'm out of time, so we'll do a little more on the fruit of the Spirit and the fullness of the Spirit tomorrow. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you that you bless us with the truth. And, Father, the truth is unfathomable at times, and yet we continue to strive to learn and to see what this great life is. We can know all about it, Father, but we, you, we know, as You have shown us, that we have to live it, and we can live it through Your power by the Spirit of God within. We ask Him in Christ's name. Amen.
1: Thank you.